WNYC Studios is brought to you by Zbiotics. Seize the day after a night of drinks with Zbiotics pre-alcohol probiotic drink. Zbiotics was invented by PhD scientists to break down the byproduct of alcohol, which is most responsible for making you feel crummy the next day. Drink Zbiotics before your first drink, drink responsibly, and you'll wake up refreshed and ready to take on the day. Try it for yourself at zbiotics.com/wnyc and get 15% off your first order when you use WNYC at checkout. That's zbiotics.com/wnyc and use the code WNYC at checkout for 15% off. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hey, it's Latte from Radio Lab. Our goal with each episode is to make you think, how did I live this long and not know that? Radio Lab, adventures on the edge of what we think we know. Listen wherever you get podcasts. You are listening to all of it on WNYC. I'm Allison Stewart. We round out our hour on Toni Morrison by turning to her fiction. She wrote 11 novels over the course of her prolific career, exploring themes of African-American identity, family relationships, and generational legacies. Earning the 1993 Nobel Prize for Literature, the citation for the award described her as someone who, quote, who in novels characterized by visionary force and poetic import gives life to an essential aspect of American reality. One of our friends from the New York Public Library put together a Toni Morrison reading list for us to share with you. Joining us now is Michael Santangelo, Deputy Director of the New York Public Library's Collection Management. Welcome to the studio. Thank you for having me. It's a real honor. I've gotten to say your name on the radio a few times, so it's nice to see you in person. Yes, thank you. Listeners, we want you to be part of this conversation. Which one of Toni Morrison's books resonates with you? When did you first discover it? Why has it remained a favorite all these years? Maybe you can't choose which one you'd like, you can tell us too. <laughs> Do you have a work that you return to regularly or maybe some other connection to Morrison's work? Our phone lines are open. 212-433-9692. 212-433-WNYC. 212-433-9692. 212-433-WNYC. Or you can share with us on social media at all of it WNYC. That is both Twitter and Instagram. All right, so this is a little bit of a broad question, but when you think about it, what makes a Toni Morrison novel a Toni Morrison novel? I start with language. I think that she really tried to focus her prose, and she really challenged herself. If you read the Guardian piece that she talked about, Mm -hmm. she was looking for prose that was race-specific but race-free, and she's always challenged herself in her prose, and then her use of detail. I mean, I think of Song of Solomon and Doc not Doctor Street or um, Beloved's first footprints in the cake when they first see her Mm -hmm. in Beloved. These details that are part of stories, too, that are just incredible. Morrison is a favorite of academics. There was one professor who was quoted as saying that only, she, only Shakespeare rivals her in the number of senior theses I, right, right. <laughs> centered on her work. Why do you think her work is particularly suited for academia? Um, I think just because the way she, that I was, I was thinking of the she talks about memory versus history. Mm. And that she wanted to center memory a lot because history is written by a few people, but we all have memories. And she wanted to honor those memories. And sometimes our memories go against history. And I could see an academic really loving that because history dictates so much to us. And she was giving you almost an out to say, no, maybe this is what people were thinking or this is what was going on. 
Listeners, let's get you in on this conversation. Do you have a favorite Toni Morrison book? When did you first discover it? Why has it remained a favorite? Maybe you had a course in college where you read Toni Morrison. You can tell us about that. Or high school. Or maybe you picked up the book yourself just because you were interested. 212-433-9692. 212-433-WNYC. Or you can reach out to us on at social media, at all of it, WNYC. We are crowdsourcing a reading list of Toni Morrison's work on this 30th anniversary of her receiving the Nobel Prize in Literature. Um, let's start with, I actually want to start with the book Home. Right. From, from 2012, the professor we spoke to, Autumn Womack, uh, the curator of the exhibit, the exhibition and, and all, the, all the associated events, um, I asked her, what book would you read a little bit differently now? after 2020 and she said home which i thought was interesting and i was like oh wow that's on michael's list so first of all why did you put home on the list because to be honest it was one i hadn't read of hers and when i heard about this interview i ran and got a copy and i was just and i almost missed my subway stop because i was so into reading it and but there is some important war um and frank money and some of the descriptions of war and, and the moral dilemmas of war i mean she doesn't try to give you just a clear-cut answer. You're kind of in his head as he's struggling throughout the novel to think about what's going on and how can he deal with that. Yeah, Frank is a, is a coming home from the Korean War. He's our protagonist. Right. What, so wait, what is awaiting him when he gets home? Almost nothing. I mean, he almost has to reinvent his life, um, has to decide what he is now, what's going to happen. I mean, at first he's with Lily, his, his uh, girlfriend, but that doesn't work out. And um, and, he, and he then goes in search of his sister because his sister was home, right? See his home to him. So he's really just looking for that and seeing if he can find his place as he's returned from this war. That is home from 2012. Let's take a call. Kevin sure. from Manhattan. Hi, Kevin. Thank you so much for calling all of it. Hi, Hi Allison. And um, thank you so much for always focusing on books. It's really such a, a treat, um, including today. Um, I, uh, my husband and I went to the Hayon Wai Book Festival, which is held in this tiny town in Wales. I've been um, there. Specific, yes, isn't it great? Oh my gosh. And we timed it specifically to hear Toni Morrison. And, um, and I didn't know if she would be as familiar there as she is here. And of course she was, and it was packed. And she was just majestic and deeply human yeah. at the same time. Mm -hmm. And and the whole audience was wrapped with attention and it was just so memorable and um years ago and I remember it vividly today. So that's my memory. Kevin, thank you for sharing your memory and thank you for calling. Let's talk to JP calling from Scarsdale. Hi JP. Hi Alison, how are you? Um I came to Tony kinda late actually um, read jazz and the um, blues tie recently, but jazz really resonated with me and kind of came to her through her friendship with Fran Leibowitz, actually, and also my wife, both championing Tony's work. JP, thanks for calling. I saw you nodding, Michael. Yeah, her her friendship with Fran Leibowitz is very interesting, and I remember Fran talking about Tony was an early morning person, supposedly. She liked because she had been a single mother, she needed mm -hmm. time to write, and but it was during the O.J. Simpson. Uh, trial and remember, Tony went on to edit a book about the O.J. Simpson trial. But and Fran is a, is not someone who gets up in the morning, <laughs> and she talks about how Tony be up at five a.m. already ready for the trial. Let's talk to Tiffany calling in from Carmel, New York. Hi, Tiffany. Thank you so much for calling in. 
Hello. I am a 58-year-old African-American who was raised in predominantly white areas. And the bluest eye really spoke to me because, of course, your family always tells you you're, you're beautiful. But I wasn't seeing the society mirroring that. And it just, a lot of those lessons, and it was like, oh, this is what my mother was talking about. Mm. And it kind of was one of those, you know, all the stories your mother's, your parents tell you about racism and you have to be careful. There it was again, and it was separate from them. And it really formed a lot of my middle school and high school interactions with people. Because I am beautiful, but I didn't know it. Tiffany, thank you so much. Bluest Eye is on your list, Michael. Right, right. I, I completely agree with her. And um, I, I just remember some of the parts of that story. Remember Pacola? She drinks all the milk at Claudia and Frida's house because she wants to keep drinking out of the Shirley Temple cup because that is what she saw as beauty. So exactly mm-hmm. what the caller was talking about and how Tony really brought that alive in the story. And um, yeah, I completely agree. I think Tiffany really, yeah, right on. Yeah, the book centers around themes of whiteness and Eurocentric beauty standards. Right, right. Let's talk to Kathy. This is interesting. Calling in from Harlem on line well, five. Hi, Kathy. You're on the air. Oh, hello. I'm such a fan of your show. Um, I'm calling to say that in the well, in the 1980s, uh, Adina Porter and I, we were both students at SUNY Purchase at the time. Uh, she asked me to adapt The Bluest Eye into a one-woman show that she performed at, at Purchase. And then everyone was so excited about the, how we did it and the success of this one-time-only performance that I... So we sought Toni Morrison out. We dogged her at uh, any place that we could find her. We found her like doing a reading in Albany. And then we went up to her because we had tried like to get through to her through her agent and things like that. We got nowhere. And so then we went up to her. I'm African-American and so is Adina. And we sort of like presented ourselves to her after a reading. And she looked at the two of us and she said, oh, you're cute. And she, <laughs> she gave us her home address. And she said, come to my house and we'll, we'll take it from there. And so shortly thereafter, we presented ourselves to her house on, you know, up in the, off the Hudson River. And we, and she said, okay, let's see what you got. And we moved for our furniture in her living room so Adina could perform like the whole one woman show, um, in, in Toni Morrison's living room. And she she loved it, and she said, okay, well, you need to have more of this, and, you know, right. the, the structure of the bluest eye is quite complicated. and But she really gave us her blessing, and then, you know, it was just so remarkable. And then she put us in touch with her agents and whomever, because we had to mm-hmm. then go through, um, you know, uh, official channels, but we were like, you know, two 21-year-old girls, wow. you know, so wow. we had, <laughs> you know, no money or the wherewithal to kind of like buy the rights or anything like that so but we but it lives that moment you know first of all working on her work so closely as uh, students at yes. purchase but then to have that moment in her living room so just wanted to share that with everyone and with you whom i'm a fan of wonderful story yeah. kathy thank you so much you were smiling through that whole thing michael because i think gener- generosity is one of her legacies and mm-hmm. she was constantly part of arts groups and on boards and ishmael reed talks about the novels how he opened she opened up her house so he can do a reading before she died of one of his recent plays. So I think that's really, that's a great story to illustrate her generosity to other artists and other people. 
also something that she was, she did not suffer fools. One of my favorite clips, which I've pulled, uh, which is often cited, is this exchange where Toni Morrison really kind of schools Charlie Rose Mm -hmm. when he asks her and he gets into the conversation about her novels centering only on black people and whether she'll ever write a novel with 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 white characters it's a little bit of a long answer but it, it's worth it let's let's take a little clip of it i remember a review of sula in which the reviewer said this is all well and good but one day she meaning me will have to face up to the real responsibilities and get mature and write about the real uh confrontation for black people which is white people as though our lives have no meaning and no depth without the white gaze. And I've spent my entire writing life trying to make sure that the white gaze was not the dominant one in any of my books. And the people who helped me most arrive at that kind of language were African writers. Chinua Achebe. Bessie Head, those writers who could assume the centrality of their race because they were Africans. And they didn't explain anything to white people. Those questions were incomprehensible to them. Those questions that I would have as a minority living in an all-white country like the United States. Just loved hearing Tony Morrison's voice. Great, yeah. Yeah. My guest is Michael Santangelo, Deputy Director of Collection Management at the New York Public Library. You're our guest as well as we celebrate Toni Morrison in this hour. Let's talk to Joe calling in from Jackson Heights. Hi, Joe. Hey. Um, I wanted to say that I chose Sula. I recently published a, an academic paper on Sula, um, which I presented at a conference in Chicago last week. And I chose Sula both for its literary meaning, like the way Morrison interrogates and dramatizes issues of race, gender, identity, social inequality in the, the United States, but also for her prose style, what it can teach my students about how Morrison achieves her literary meaning, like mm. specifically on the level of her language choices. There's a, an interview I start the paper with uh, from the 70s, actually, where she was asked, what makes your work distinctive? What, what makes it so good? And Morrison said, the language, only the language. It's the thing that black people love so much, the saying of words, holding them on the tongue, experimenting with them, playing with them. Thank you so much for calling, Joe. Let's talk to Bill in Crown Heights. Hi, Bill. Hi, thank you so much for taking my call. Um, so I was a student of Nikki Giovanni's when I was in college at Virginia Tech, and this would have been about 1990. And one of the, well, there's a huge number of things about that experience that was wonderful, but one of the many ones is she knew everybody. So she brought in Toni Morrison wow. to read um, from Beloved. And I have to admit, I was a college student who had not slept for days. Listening to her read was like listening to someone sing a lullaby and uh, I dozed in and out um, but it was not it was just in the most beautiful way it was like somebody was singing me to sleep uh, and then kind of waking up and they were still there and I just that experience was just so so beautiful um, just a wonderful memory Bill thank you so much for sharing that memory Beloved was on your list Michael and it's one of these books that appears on the American Library Association's list of 100 most banned books right. of the decade, 
Why would you think that that book and The Bluest Eye um, is very hard? Because I deal with hard subjects. Yeah, and I think people... I mean, it's talking, like she was saying to Charlie Rose, like the centering her own experience. And I think people don't always allow people to do that. And there's sexual trauma and sexual assault mm-hmm. and and things like that. And, and not allowing someone who's experienced that to center that in their own books when other people can't process it. And I think it's really on those people that the problem is, not on the books or on any of the people who enjoy them. So I guess it's unfortunate, but I, I, I guess it's some of the reasoning behind it. And the final book you had on your list, well, it could go on and on. We asked right. for five, was Song of Solomon. <laughs> I just, I'd said doc, not Dr. Street. The, the language is just tremendous, too, um, and sing. And he was talking about, it sounded like she was singing, and I think of the character singing Song of Solomon and this kind of way some of her, her language was lyrical and, and almost influenced by music. And I think you could see that a lot in Song of Solomon. Lila agrees. Lila you're our last call. Go for it. Hi, thank you. So I, I was going to say Song of Solomon is my favorite. I just love how long the story is and how drawn out it is and how she delves into each character and their backstory and how they're all connected, even if they don't want to be, because the family is so complicated. Like you have Pilot and her brother and they just like resent each other, but they still find their ways back into each other. And I just love that about the book. So thank you. Thank you so much for calling in, Lila. Any final thoughts we have in our last minute? Oh, Michael? yeah, please. Um, I, w- I was just thinking of some things about Tony, and one other thing that I was thinking was her legacy was accessibility, mm. but not writing her language to simpl- be simplistic, but still making it where people can engage in what she was telling them. And I and the way she just constantly challenged herself, I, if you read one of the afterwards, the 93 version of Bliss Eye, that she was always challenging herself to be better and to achieve some of those goals she set out. And I really think in her language, she really achieved a lot of it. Michael Santangelo is Deputy Director of Collection Management at the New York Public Library. Thank you so much for putting this list together and taking our listeners' fantastic calls. Exactly. Thank you so much. WNYC Studios is brought to you by Zbiotics. Seize the day after a night of drinks with Zbiotics pre-alcohol probiotic drink. Zbiotics was invented by PhD scientists to break down the byproduct of alcohol, which is most responsible for making you feel crummy the next day. Drink Zbiotics before your first drink, drink responsibly, and you'll wake up refreshed and ready to take on the day. Try it for yourself at zbiotics.com/wnyc and get 15% off your first order when you use WNYC at checkout. That's zbiotics.com/wnyc and use the code WNYC at checkout for 15% off.